Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. Take your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 15, Acts chapter 15 this morning. I hope you came hungry and ready to receive the word of God today. Messy church, this is the theme of our series right now. We've been, this is our fourth week in the series. We have one more next Sunday morning, an exciting story we want to share again from the book of Acts. The church is messy because we're messy and we make up the church. And if you came into this place looking for a perfect church, I'm just going to tell you, as soon as you came in, you messed it up. Because <laughs> we're not perfect. We don't have it together. We, 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 it gets messy. And probably if there's any dynamic that was messier, it was the early church. Just starting out, this very first church on the face of the earth, put here by the Lord Jesus Christ, paid for and bought with his own blood. And they're together, and they're coming together, and they're trying to figure out how to do church and what that looks like and how they experience that. And as you grow in faith, what happens is God begins to reveal all the mess and all the junk in your life. And it starts to come to the surface. And it's the way God uses to the purification process that we call it sanctification. It's that process of making us more like Jesus Christ. But in that process, he takes us from total sinners, pagans, lost, world mindset. He gloriously saves us by his grace. But then he begins that work of sanctifying and purifying us. And we're not going to get there until Jesus comes back. Got a long, long way to go. Every single one of us are still in that process of being worked on by the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you bring a whole group of imperfect people together and we come together under the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's messes that occur. They happen now and they happen in the early church. And all of those things that that, that we don't deal with, they all become now front and center, and God is in that process of continually working on it. Another reason the church can be messy is because you take a group of people who come from different cultural backgrounds, uh, different political ideologies, different preferences, different generations, different races, and you mix them all together in one big happy family. How many know just a normal family in a home is hard enough to maintain? And keep all your kids at peace with each other and everybody else getting along fine in the same house, let alone bringing people from very, very diverse backgrounds, preferences, ideologies, and you put all that together in one great melting pot called the Church of the Living God, and it can get messy at times. And that's exactly what you begin to see happening in the book of Acts. Now, some of these differences produce what we call as gray areas. And by gray areas, I mean that there are those things that are clearly wrong in the word of God. They are black areas. They are things God says, no, do not do. And then there are those white areas that God says, go for it. This is what we should be doing. This is what the church should be engaged in. But, there's, but the Bible doesn't dress, address every cultural area that we face today because it didn't exist back then. And so we got to navigate through these questions of life. How do I determine what's right for me, what's wrong for me? How do I navigate through these gray areas, all these unwritten rules that church culture seems to embrace? Things like what kind of clothes should I wear? 
How should I dress? Uh, can I have tattoos or no tattoos? What about a glass of wine with my meal? What political party should I support? What types of music should I listen to? What types of entertainment should I watch? Uh, and the challenge is, what, what can happen is, we can believe these things so, so sincerely that we turn these cultural beliefs into our practice culture in the church. It becomes a part of our church culture and we turn it into law. And we say to be saved, you gotta do this, this, and this, and this. And we have our whole list of things that we add to salvation as if these cultural preferences came from Mount Sinai from God himself. Those gray areas. And what happens is if we're not careful, all these gray cultural preferences for the local body of Christ can at times make it difficult for those to come into the church and into the family of God. And this is what we're dealing with in Acts chapter 15. And we're going to read about it today and we're going to break it down and we're going to talk about how to navigate through some of these areas of life. So let's stand together and let's look at Acts 15 and verse number 1. And some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way and they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria. They told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the brothers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything God had done among them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, now these are believers, they're Christians, but they belong to a certain party, political party, the Pharisee party, stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. Let's take a look at that this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we love you so much. You are an awesome God, and we thank you for your sweet presence here today. And as we look at this chapter this morning, I pray you'll open up our hearts and minds today. I pray, God, that the door of salvation will be wide open, Lord, that we will say whosoever will may come, and, and that there will even be lives changed this morning. So may the word of God find good, fertile ground. Anoint me to preach it, I pray. We ask it all in your mighty name. Amen and amen. Turn to someone, tell them they look awesome today, and then you may be seated. This whole conflict of circumcision was huge in the early church. It was a very, very big deal. Now, the Pharisees, and many of them were being saved, as you see, and were already being added to the early church, they were a group of priests who Initially, they they were the ones that were behind the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. As you go back and study scripture, it was the Pharisee party that was probably the most guilty of all those in the killing of the Lord Jesus Christ. They 
followed very, very closely Old Testament law and the Old Testament scripture. They prided themselves on how much they kept the law and how separate they were from everybody else. They ate only kosher foods. They would wash in certain ways. There were ceremonial washings and cleansings. They followed all the laws of the Old Testament. And, they, and they, by the time they added to them and it was all said and done, there were 630-something laws they followed. And they said, bottom line, you've got to be circumcised. This is the one thing we want to hold to. It's the one thing we want to hang on to. If you're going to be saved, you've got to go through this portal of circumcision. Now, now why was that such a big deal? Because it was the sign covenant that God had given to Abraham that told God that you are the people of God. He said, this is the sign, I've chosen you, Abraham, I will bless your seed, I will multiply your seed, I will make of you a great nation, and also, by the way, to set you apart from everybody else, all the heathen nations around you, I want all your men to be circumcised. That's, that's kind of like good news and bad news. And so it, it became that covenant sign, that covenant relationship with Abraham and all those who follow him. It, it identified them as belonging to God or being the people of God. Now keep in mind, up till this point in the book of Acts, the majority of Christians are Jewish. Most of those who are being saved are Jewish. He, he goes to Cornelius' house. You saw that in Acts chapter 10. It, it, it moves through Samaria, and so you have kind of a, a half-Jewish, uh, half-pagan society melded together in the Samaritan culture. It goes up there in Acts chapters 8 and 9, and so you have this kind of thing going on. But, but for the most part, those who are being saved up to this point are Jewish. In fact, people consider Christianity to be a more radical sect of the Jewish religion. There hadn't been that kind of division between Jew and, and, and the church. And so they're all one, they're all seen together, and Christianity is seen as a more radical sect. The problem arises when Gentiles are starting to be saved. And, and so they're not circumcised, they're not keeping any of the ceremonial laws, they're just following Jesus. They're just finding Christ, they're finding God's grace, they're becoming Christ's followers, but all this Old Testament laws they had never been a part of and they certainly weren't circumcised. The Pharisees, by insisting they become circumcised, are blocking the new and living way that God made possible through the cross. When Jesus Christ hung on the cross, he said that middle wall of partition has come down. They used to have an outer court for the Gentiles, and any Gentile that went beyond that wall, beyond that wall of separation, could be struck dead. It was so, they could not come into the, into the inner courts of the Jewish people and where they met together. They had to stay on the outside, behind this wall, this wall of separation. Uh, but when Jesus Christ died, when he gave his life on the cross, the Bible says that middle wall of partition has come down. There is no more Jew or Gentile. We are all one in Christ Jesus. But the Pharisees, because of their rules, because of their regulation, because of their conviction, because of their beliefs, they're starting to build up these stone walls all over again and says, you know what, to come to Christ, you must be circumcised. You must follow the rules. You must first become a Jew. How many parents do we have in the house? You know that if you have kids, you can have kids in the same house born to the same mom and dad, but totally and completely different, right? 
different personalities, different backgrounds, different rules. And what happens is, as moms and dads, we try to make rules to teach our children, to teach them the way they should go, to teach them how to be good citizens, nice guys, to grow up good and healthy. We lay down rules for our children to follow. Uh, I, when I was growing up at home, I had a rule that, you know, we couldn't leave the table till we cleaned our plate. And mom would, would try to cook all these balanced meals. How many know kids don't always like balanced meals? And the balanced meal, one of the, one of the food items included was peas. And I hated peas. And the texture just kind of, ugh, in my mouth. And, and, it, and I was so adverse to it, it would kind of make me gag. And so, but I had to eat my peas before I could leave the table. And they were, and so what happens is a kid, you devise ways to get around the rules. And so we had the plates with the little, kind of raised around the outside, weren't totally flat. And so when the mom and dad are talking, I'm taking these peas and I'm spreading them around the, the perimeter of the plate, underneath the rim of the plate. And if I could get them spread out in time without being caught or seen, I could say, Mom, I'm done. I'm leaving the table. I'm moving on. And I could get up and get out of it. And I'd get out as quick as I can. And I'd go outside real quick so they couldn't catch me. And I know Mom and Dad, when they lifted that plate and saw that ring of peas around there, or you ever try hiding them under the chicken bones or under the mashed potatoes or you hide them wherever you can. You just kind of weave them in there. So you want to eat the peas. And, and, and we would have these long battles. You're not leaving the table till you eat every one of those peas. So what I would do is I'd hold the peas to the end. If I was caught, couldn't hide them. They were watching me. They're all over me. I'd, I'd put all those peas into my mouth. And I'd say, I'm done, I'm done now. And then I'd go to the bathroom and go, <laughs> spit them all out in the toilet. Ways to, to get around the rules because the rule of our house is you eat your peas. Now, here's what happens growing up. And listen to me. As, as children, what we begin to believe in our mind is that keeping the rules will win and gain approval from mom and dad. If I keep the rules, I keep all the regulations, somehow I will gain my mother and father's approval. They will love me more because I kept all the rules they set down for me. And, and the implied meaning is daddy won't love me unless I do what he says. Now, here's what happens. You've got same kids, same family. Some are very good at keeping rules. Lindy, my youngest, she was a rule keeper. And she would keep every rule. She didn't need a whole lot of discipline. She was a pretty good kid. On the other hand, Jason, and many of you know Jason, he was a rule tester or a rule breaker. It was just, it was in his, somehow he wanted to see how he could test every rule and break every rule along the way because he was trying to assert his own independence to test his, and, and in some ways, these testing of the rules are, does dad really love me? Do my parents really love me? Or they're seeking attention in some way. And so they break the rules, they push the rules because they want this kind of attention. Now, now follow me here in this logic. If one child in the family has kept all the rules, has always ate all of his peas, and the other sibling doesn't have to eat the peas, comes rolling right into the house, bypasses all the rules, bypasses all the regulation, didn't have to eat his peas, and I see mom and dad still love that child. I'm a little miffed. My goodness, I've been hiding peas all my life. I've been running from peas, 
and you're letting my little brother in, you're letting this person into the family, you're letting them come, and they don't have to eat one single pea. (laughs) Daddy, what goes on here? Why is this happening? I've had rules all my life, and now he waltzes right in, no rules, no regulations. Now let me tell you, this is where the Pharisees are at. We've kept all these laws to win God's approval. We've been good. We've ate our peas. We've been circumcised. We eat all the right kind of foods. We've washed a certain way all these years. And now you're letting these Gentiles wash white in here and they don't have to do anything. Just say, I love you, Jesus. That's not fair, right? Jesus tells a powerful story. He, he, he does something as he's traveling and, and hanging out with people. And he, he, he would hang out with the worst of the worst. He would go to their dinners. He'd go to their celebrations, their banquets, their wedding feast. He'd go to all these occasions. And there would be tax, tax collectors there. Nobody liked them. There would be prostitutes hanging out, wandering in and out of the house, all made up, all had all their makeup on, looked really like prostitutes do. And, 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 and. And, and he's hanging with these guys. And, and he, he's with them. He's there. And the Pharisees, throughout the ministry of Jesus, they become indignant. They say, don't you know who you're hanging around with? They're unclean. We're clean. We're the children of the house. We've been here forever. And now you're going to forgive these guys? And so he tells them a story. It's a story about a father who has two sons in the same house. And one son comes to him and says, Daddy, I want my money. I want to blow this joint. I want to go party right now. And he's basically saying, I don't really love you. I don't want to wait till you die. I just want my stuff now. And the Bible says he goes to a far country. He hangs around prostitutes. He drinks it up. He parties it up. He snorts it up. And he goes through every bit of inheritance. And he winds up in a pig pen. And all of a sudden, and I like this phrase, he came to himself. He finally came to his senses. And listen, parents, sometimes you see your kids going the wrong direction. You keep praying for them. Sometimes they got to get lower before they reach out to God. But there will come that time when they come to themselves and realize what they've left behind. And he goes back to daddy. And daddy's been looking for him, and he's been waiting for him at the end of the road. And there's this connection there, and he hugs him, and they embrace. He said, just let me be your slave. Let me just serve in the house. I just need some food for my stomach. I I know I blew it, but just let me back in the house. And and he's bringing out robes. He gives him a new ring, which means he gets a new inheritance. He he puts sandals on his feet, which says, you're not going to be a slave in my house. You are a child of mine, and you will always be a child of mine. And he does all this thing, and they throw a big party, and the the older brother says, time out. This ain't right. He wouldn't even go to the party. I've kept all the rules. I have been a rule keeper from day one, thus be keeping all the rules. I have tried to win and gain your approval. And now you accept him in, and you accept his lifestyle in, and you love him the same as you love me. That's not right. 
And this is exactly what the Pharisees are doing in the early church. They, they have gained and worked very hard to earn the approval of Yahweh God. And Jesus comes along and says, all are welcome. There's a seat at the table for everybody. Keeping the rules, keeping the laws, keeping the legislations, and trying to do all these kinds of things. The division between, in, the, in Acts chapter 15, was so amazing, was so great, that it threatened to split the early church right down the middle. It got very, very messy. The Pharisees, the circumcision group, got to come in this way. Those who are getting saved as Gentiles, never been circumcised, they're coming in, all these new Gentile believers, and there's a sharp division that threatens to divide the church right down the middle. Now, they solved it beautifully under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and that's why we put this in the messy church series because this became so messy in the early church and it gets messy today it can get messy today this very same way so a delegation of apostles they leave from antioch paul and barnabas are a part of that by the way this occurs about 20 years after pentecost so we're 20 years into the life of the church when all this occurs And they go back and they head back to settle the matter. They go back to Jerusalem. They leave Antioch and they have what is known as now the Jerusalem Council. So let's pick it up with verse number six and let's begin to see how they work through these kind of issues. Verse number six. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe God. And believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. And we preached on Cornelius, and we saw how the Holy Spirit was poured out on Cornelius and his entire family. He made no distinction between us and them, for it purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? Wow. All these rules, we've been breaking them all these generations. No, we believe it is through the grace, look at that, through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Hallelujah. Now, now let's go back to this Jerusalem council. You got Pharisees who are believers. You got a lot of Jewish people. I don't know how many Gentiles were in that meeting. But you have Jews who were not Pharisees that are gathered there. Paul and Barnabas come down. They, they present their argument. They present their case. James is the pastor of the church. He's going to chair the meeting. And, and it's not made up of good guys and bad guys. They're all good. They're all okay. There's not, you guys are really mean and bad and angry and you guys are okay. They're they're all good. They, They all make up the church of the living God. They're all following Jesus. And yet they're all sure they're right. Right. I'm right. I'm right. You're wrong. My conviction's right. My belief's right and yours is wrong. When we encounter differences, 
How do we resolve them? Verse number seven says, after much discussion, the, the, the Greek language implies there was a heated debate. This church is gonna knock it out and they're gonna work it out and there's a very heated exchange that goes back and forth between the Pharisees and Paul and Barnabas and those who are gathered in the room. Listen to me, true fellowship doesn't imply we agree on everything. I can have fellowship with you and not agree with your personal convictions. You can have fellowship with me and not agree with my personal convictions. Uh, It doesn't imply we all agree and think alike. Yes, there are certain key beliefs we have that hold us together. We sang that in the creed. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe he gave his life on the cross for me. I believe he rose again. I believe he's coming back. There are those core beliefs that knit us together. But I can come into a place of disagreement with you and you can have a different viewpoint than I do on scripture or something else and we can still be brothers and work it out and we can even talk about these things and that's what they're doing in the early church or we simply ignore it and we put up our walls and we say, you know what? You don't believe everything like I do. You're not in my little group. Assemblies of God, they're the only way. My little church is the only way. Everybody else is wrong. Listen, that's a bunch of baloney. We are centered around the blood and body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we work through our differences. The purpose is not to convince people to join my kingdom, but rather to look to see how I can build up the kingdom of God and God's kingdom. If, we're building my, if, if we are building God's kingdom, I don't have the right then to set up barriers and enforce my own man-made laws and regulations and rules. It's okay to be different, and we need to learn to respect that. So let me give you a couple of points, because I can't do anything without my points. Number one is, it's okay to be different. It's okay to be different. And this is what Paul and Barnabas say. It's okay. You're circumcised awesome. It's okay. You're Jewish. Awesome. It's okay. Eat all the right foods. uh, Do all the right things you want to do. It's okay. Just so you know Jesus. Just so you're following the Lord. You're a Gentile. You're not circumcised. You eat pork. It's okay. It's not a salvation issue. Don't get all caught up in it. It's okay. There's no more any middle wall of partition between Jew and Gentile alike. It's okay. It's okay to be different. It's okay to to love the hymns and traditional music, and it's okay to sing contemporary, contemporary music that has more of a contemporary beat to it. That's okay, just so long we sing about Jesus. It's okay to dress up or dress casual. I am what I am. It's what you got. You're stuck with it. It's okay. You want to wear a tie? Wear a tie. It's okay. Wave it around. Don't just don't wave it in my face. Okay to wear a jacket. Okay not to. It's okay. Doesn't really matter. It's not how we're saved. It's about Jesus. You see... You see, what happens is 
We identify, we build our conviction over the years from the glorious time when we came to know Jesus. And it was that mighty time. When you found Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it was such a glorious time. And you had, or you had these very personal God experiences where the Lord came down and he met you and you had that burning bush experience in your own heart and your own life. But sometimes we get locked in that cultural time frame and we say, if it's not like that, all the way through to the next generation and the next generation, we somehow have missed God because we don't look alike and talk alike and do the same things I did way back when I first found Christ. And those become very precious moments and we build our church culture around that. We get locked in that error or that certain period of time. Your salvation does not depend on these things. Therefore, I've got to respect your differences and you've got to respect my difference so we can get along in the body of Christ and the family of God because the unity of the body is more important than my own kingdom and my own agenda. It may be difficult, because all of us, to a certain point, are tied to our own background, the way we were brought up, our own convictions. But if we're not careful, we will get spiritual tunnel vision. We say, unless you came in like I came in, you're not really in. And it can be damaging. And it said in verse 10, we are putting an unnecessary yoke upon the Gentiles that neither we nor our ancestors can keep. Wow. I'm going to share a story, and it happened a long time ago. And, uh, you know, if it, if it hits you, it hits you. Just, just stay with me on this thing. We had a man who brought a guest to our church, and he was wearing a ball cap. Now, this is a while back. Church has loosened up a lot, so, so that's okay. But, but a while back, man wearing a ball cap. And one of the men walked over to him and said, sir, you're in church, you're gonna to have to take your hat off in church. Now that was his conviction, that was his culture, that was the day and age he was raised, okay? The tragedy was that this friend of his had been trying to invite him to church for a long period of time and he was unable to get him to come to church because he had these preconceived ideas about what church is like. And then, to reinforce it, he comes to faith assembly, and all those preconceived ideas come. And here's the real the, the sorrow and the tragedy. We've, and I found this out. I was livid. I, I called it. I made corrections, course corrections along the way. We dealt with the issue. But when he took his hat off, his head was bald, and he had a scar on the back of his head. And he had just had cancer surgery. Now, he's covering his head, and he's covering his scars, so he can come in and hopefully find Jesus Christ and connect with the people of God. Instead, he found judgmental looking down on and criticism. And when he left, and his friend called us and shared the story, he said, I'm never going back to that church again. Now, that's us. That's us. And that broke my heart. And I don't know if he ever went back to church again. I don't know where he's at. I don't even know the man's name. don't know anything about it. But you see an example of how our cultural, we get so ingrained to our culture that we grew up, you never wore a hat when you walked through the back doors of the church. And yet sometimes those things, they're hiding our scars. 
And instead of worrying about the hat and what's on the inside, let them come in, let them find Christ, let God deal with their hurts and their pains and their scars and their tragedy, and let's create an environment where everybody's welcome. Instead of saying, this is my generation, this is the way we've always done it, and this is the way it worked for us. And we create a major stumbling block. And he comes down to verse number 19, and James is now preaching here, and he says, he makes this statement in verse 19, just listen to it. We should not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. The bottom line of this council is don't make it hard or difficult for Gentiles who are coming to Christ. He understood the barriers had to come down and Gentiles are also now a part of God's church and our differences need to be respected. Okay, got it? Point one. Now let's go to point two. And I'm gonna stretch you guys a little bit because there's something else they do here. Christians must be willing to lay down their rights. Wow. Christians also have got to be willing to lay down their rights so that others may come in. Go down to Acts 15, verses 20 and 21. After all this goes on, they come up with this kind of solution that, that kind of shocks you at first. But he says, instead we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogue on every Sabbath. Now, he says, there's no more walls, no more barriers. There's nothing there that should keep you from coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. But he says, you know what? In this new church that God is forming, there's four rules I still want you to keep. It looks like it contradicts everything I just said. So, so how do we balance that? How do we have these four rules, these are things that you ought to do, and, and, and balance that with, you know what, there's no more Jew or Gentile, and anybody can come in just like they are. It seems like now they're tearing down the barriers, but he keeps four in place for the early church. Now, now follow me here, listen to me. The first two are areas that I believe are not so gray. They're not gray areas at all. Keep away from idolatry and immorality. Listen, that's good for every single generation. And James is reminding them there is one true God. We don't return back to idolatry and we don't get involved in sexual immorality. So that's a part of who we are at the church. There is only one true God who is holy. And he says these issues are not debatable. Now that the Gentiles were saved, they were coming out of a background of idol worship, and along with that idol worship was just all kinds of rampant pagan immorality. Uh, every kind of sexual deviance known to man was being practiced by these pagans before their gods. They were defiling God's new temple. So when he writes the Corinthians, he says, what? How can you remain in sexual immorality? How can you remain in sexual sin? He says, don't you know your body is now the new temple of the living God? How can you take the temple of the living God and join with somebody else outside of marriage? He said that is immorality, that is wrong, God is holy, it will always be wrong, always be wrong. I don't care what culture says, he said this is an area because when you are involved in sexual immorality, what you're doing, it's a form of idolatry, you're idolizing yourself. 
and you're saying it's all about my own personal gratification. And so I will engage in sexual immorality of any kind that I want to on any given occasion. That is a form of idolatry at its very basis. And he says, and he writes to Corinthians, God forbid, don't you know your body is the temple of God and the Lord dwells in you? How can you take this body, this temple, and now join it to a prostitute? So he said there are some things that should never change, and to reinforce that, he said there's a couple things, even these Gentiles coming out of idolatry, coming out of immorality, they need to come out of that to serve Christ and to follow Jesus. So they're saved by grace, but these are things that are going to need to change. But then he throws a couple in there that kind of, okay, what's what's the big deal about eating chickens that have been, had their, I don't know how it was, but, 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 but. You couldn't eat meat strangled, whatever that meant, and you couldn't eat meat with blood in it. Now, some of you guys like your steaks really rare. It kind of moves, you know, you just, you just, you're all into the rare steak thing. And, and so this was a big deal. And so he says, why, why put those two in there as well? And that's, that's because they seem to be almost social things. Because Jews and Gentiles are going to be eating at the same table. And the church is going to grow together to be one body. And if you're sitting at that table and you're eating meat with blood in it that has not been cooked, he says that will be so offensive to the Jews, it will break your table fellowship. So in order to maintain this kind of table fellowship between Jew and Gentile alike, we're just going to start out in this early church and say, you know what, just don't do it because you don't want to make somebody else stumble or fall or mess up the unity of the body of Christ. In this early church, they, it's just something. And so what I'm saying is, yes, you may have a right to do certain things as a follower of Christ, but I don't want to do those things if it's going to make my brother or sister stumble and fall into sin. Turn to Romans. Romans is going to give a more uh, complete explanation of this in Romans chapter 14. <coughs> it's the Romans 14 principle right here. And I'll start with verse number 14. And he talks about food and meat and drink and all these kind of other things that can tend to divide us. And he, and he gives us some ground rules. He said, this stuff isn't wrong in itself, but if it makes your brother stumble or fall, I laid down my rights to do this because love is more important. And the family of God's more important and our unity is more important. Let me read it to you. I'm, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. As one who is in the Lord Jesus Christ, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him, it is unclean. He has a conviction about that thing. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy your brother for whom Christ died. It's not an issue God-wise, it's an issue horizontally. It's an issue in the family of God. And don't cause your brother or sister to stumble or fall into sin. Do not, uh, do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. And then he says this, this great line, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Let us therefore, here's the conclusion, make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. He says food just really doesn't matter a whole lot. But it does matter if someone falls away from God because of it. 
All food is clean, but it is wrong. It is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. Why? You can't get any clearer than that. I, uh, last Sunday, I, uh, I, I, it, it, this is, it's an interesting story. I, I got a call on Friday morning. A brother of mine had just passed away. And actually, he had been gone from the church for a long time. But his wife calls me up and says, you know what, he was talking about you towards the end of his life, and I want you to be an honorary pallbearer. And I, so I was honored, and I said, sure, I'll be there. I got church Sunday morning. Was, the funeral starts at 2. You can make it. And, uh, and, and, I, and apparently, this, and I didn't even know, really had forgotten the whole story, but when, when he and his wife came back to, came to faith, they, they came to faith assembly of God, it's here he reconnected with the Lord Jesus Christ and really made a commitment of his life to Jesus. And so his spiritual salvation and roots, he probably traced to this church, but they wound up going back to the church of their roots. And for them, that was a Lutheran church. And so they went back to the Lutheran church, and that's where they were worshiping, and that's cool, and that's great. And so, so and he was just a good friend of mine. I'd see him from time to time, off and on, and we'd talk about golf and everything else. And so I'm sitting there, and I, I'm an honorary pallbearer, but we're during, during the service. And it's, it, because it's a Lutheran church, they have a lot of liturgy. And it's very meaningful, very powerful liturgy. And I was getting into it. And they were singing some of the old songs. And I'm singing. Boy, I'm just robust. You know, you're in, you got a choir, and you're, you're singing, and you're along, and all that. And it's kind of funny. The guy next to me, who I also knew as an acquaintance, leaned over and said, boy, you really got a good voice. <laughs> I said, dude, is your hearing gone bad? Are you that old? Have you lost it? I said, they won't even let me sing in my own church. I said... So we laughed, but you know, I, and I was all over the keys and scales, and you know how bad I sing, and so I don't know where he got that, or I think he was just making conversation. What else do I say? He's singing like an idiot next to me, and I gotta say something nice. And so, so anyway, he says that, and, and you know, we laughed, and, and, and the service went on. They came to the end of the service, and they began to talk about communion. And they, and they said, this is open to anybody who knows Christ. You want to be a member of the church? And the idea was you're going to file out and you're going to go to the front and you're going to take the wafer and dip it in the wine. It was, it was alcoholic wine and you're going to dip it in that and you're going to eat that. And so, okay. Uh, now, my personal conviction is I don't drink alcohol I, I, because I've seen the damage it does to families. I, 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 I've seen the results on the freeway and and the bottom line is I like Carolina sweet tea a whole lot better it just tastes better and I need all of my mental faculties I can't risk anything getting in there that would mess my mind up because I don't have a whole lot to begin with and so my 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 personal conviction is I just don't drink it okay I just don't do it because I don't want and also the stumbling block I don't want to be a stumbling block to anybody else but this preacher who was next to me on the other side of the funeral he's a holiness preacher he looked at me says are you going up there and I looked at him and I said, sure. This is, this is communion. This is the body and blood of Jesus Christ. This is symbolic of his body and his blood that was shed for us to make us one. I'm a member of the family of God. I've asked Christ into my heart and life. Why would I not go up and celebrate around the table of the Lord and take communion? So I went up there, and, and the, the, the one, and I don't know if they call him priest in the Lutheran church or not, but one of the, the ministers, the clergy, he said, this is his body. 
broken for you. And then I took the wafer and they have a, a communal cup and we dipped it in that, in that uh, alcohol, wine, and I ate the wafer and I sat back down. And you, and you know what? I drove home just fine. I didn't, I didn't wave. I didn't, I didn't get across my line. I, didn't, I was never in danger of a wreck. I did just fine. But you know what? The unity of the body is more important than my personal conviction. Now that's hard. That's hard. But Paul says we've got to make it easy for people to come into the family of God. Don't make it hard. Don't put something around their neck that they can't even handle. And so my convictions are going to be different than your convictions. But when it comes time to the body of Christ, I have a higher law that says I don't want to do anything that will make my brother or sister stumble and fall into sin. And, and let me share a leadership principle. The higher you go up in leadership, the less rights you have. Because everybody's watching your life. You have a larger platform and more people are looking for, at you. They're looking at your life and they're seeing what's going on. That's why the apostle Paul said, if meat or drink causes my brother to stumble, I won't eat it. Lest it offend somebody else. Because Paul knew everybody was looking at his life. And so he says in verse 17 of, of Romans that, 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 you know what, the kingdom of God, it's not about meat and drink. Those things really don't matter. It's, that's not the issue of the kingdom of God. It's God's grace. It's God's saving power. It's the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then he goes to verse 19. But if it causes my brother to stumble, I won't do it. Because love is the higher law. Are you, are you getting, you understand this? Let's not go to battle. Let's not fight. Let's not war over things that really don't matter. Let's love each other, hold to our convictions, believe it, follow it, have your Bible lined up ready, and you can debate these things. You can talk about these things. There's nothing wrong with that. But don't turn law into grace. It's not, it doesn't happen that way. You can't do it. This attitude takes, this is the attitude it takes to build up the kingdom of God. As you grow more in faith, you become more willing to lay down your rights. The decision of James and the Jerusalem Council led the way to a spiritual unity in a very diverse church. And it saved the early church. That church even became more powerful. Yes, it was messy. Yes, they debated it. Yes, they worked through it. But it became a very powerful, spirit-filled church. While cultural issues may change, the principles are always the same. Don't make it too difficult for those who are turning to Christ. Now, let me ask you guys some questions. Have you been guilty of laying down restrictions on others? Have we been saying you've got to be like me to be saved? If you are, you're building your own kingdom and not God's kingdom. Are we building our kingdom? Am I building my own kingdom? And then the other side of it is, have you been willing to lay down your rights if it's not going to make someone else stumble or fall along the way because I'm more concerned about their salvation? And so you know what? I don't want to offend you. I'm going to do this around you. Paul calls himself a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am a bondservant. I am a slave. And he came to realize that a slave has no rights whatsoever in the household. And yet he was so 
so passionate about souls. Passionate. Jew, Gentile, I, I, I want to see all men come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll, do, I'll by all means do anything that I might save some. We have a tendency to think also that we've got to win God's approval. That we want to be loved because of what we do. So if I work real hard and I keep every rule and regulation, then somehow God will love me. Listen to me. God will never love you any more or any less. He loves you unconditionally. Unconditionally. And that's, that's hard for us to wrap our minds around because you know what? It's hard for us to extend unconditional love to others. But that's the way God, our Father, loves us unconditionally. And you can't do anything in this world to make him love you more. He loves you already more than he will ever love you, more than you can ever dream or imagine or ask or think. God loves you that, that very much. Our righteousness with God is by grace through faith alone. Doesn't mean I continue in sin that grace may abound. He says in Romans 6, 1, God forbid, but I come to God by faith and I let God begin to clean me up from the inside and he begins to renew my mind and he gives me a new speech and he gives me a new attitude and he gives me a new heart and over time he just begins to work this process we call sanctification. Listen, we're job is to catch fish. Let God clean the fish. Let him clean them up. He'll take care of it. He'll deal with it. I come to God by faith, then the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit gives me the power to follow and serve Christ as he leads and guides and directs my life. God loves you, loves you so much. I don't know if you've been that barrier to somebody else, or I don't know if you've encountered so many barriers with the church. You say, I don't want to really be a part of that. But this morning, the love of God's in this house. And he can save you. And you can come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can know him this morning as your Lord and Savior. Bow your heads and close your eyes right now. Hallelujah. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus, for everybody in the house today. I thank you, God, that you love them so very, very much. And if there's someone in here who does not know you, I pray today. Or we want to make it as easy as possible for men and women to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages.